0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Hello. Welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flump. Chris, how you doing today? Doing pretty good, starting to recover from the draft. Yeah, that was a that was a long three days. Was it only three? Felt like more. It, it felt like a lot more. So yeah, the draft finally passed. We now have a look at what the giant draft class is. We know what the roster is pretty much going to look like going forward obviously there's going to be a little bit of change from now until the season we got trading camp there's going to be probably some veterans coming in possibly uh there's going to be cuts and and all of those other things now but we can look at what the giants pretty much are projected to look like going forward so we came to you right after the first round we already broke down the three first-round picks the Giants had. So we're going to talk about the draft class today. We're not really going to touch on the three first-round picks because we already did that. So we're going to focus more on what happened in days two and three because we have not spoken to you since. So the Giants waited a long time on day two. Uh, This is something I I was not expecting after the first round. I kind of thought the trade into back into the first for DeAndre Baker was going to make the Giants a little more likely to trade up in the third round or uh, maybe even into the second, but they didn't do that. They actually didn't have another trade for the rest of the draft, uh, which was slightly surprising in, in both ways of trading up and trading back. So they didn't pick until 95 in the third round, one of the final picks in the third round. And what they did was selected O'Shane Zimenez. The edge rusher from Old Dominion. He's a guy I had in the one mock I did on Big Blue View. And he's someone I like quite a bit. Not super athletic, which you would like in your edge rusher's but even though he get went to a small school like Old Dominion he's not someone who who is very raw he's someone who is very much a refined pass rusher has a lot of good pass rush moves and that's how you see him win on tape when it's not always going to be the athleticism but he has a broad enough toolbox as his pass rushing moves and, and hand movement and hand use and all of that stuff to to set tackles up that he should be able to produce in the NFL.
2: Yeah. You know, I I think I might have preferred like uh Christian Miller, but Zimnus is a solid pick especially at as late in the 3rd round as they were, you know, 95th pick that's basically a fourth round pick that's the last natural pick all that was left after that were the compensatory picks so at that point getting a guy who can probably step in and contribute maybe not be an ace pass rusher he won't be he probably won't be a patch on Olivier Vernon but he should be able to contribute and like you said he has pretty refined pass rushing skills yeah he has an okay first step it's not great there I saw some kind of wasted motion on tape he isn't terribly bendy his ankles are okay but he's got some stiff hips but in the giant scheme he'll probably be rushing as an outside linebacker or a fairly widely spaced defensive end depending on what kind of sub package they're in he should have a soft enough edge that he can get around a tight end or maybe a tackle The interesting thing to me is that even though he's 6'3 and about 250, he looks like he should be a speed rusher, but he rushes like a power rusher. He tries to, I don't want to say go through tackles, but he loves the bull rush. He loves a long arm move. He isn't really one for trying to beat guys with speed, which is just interesting to see out of a player with his body type he got compared to OCU manure during the draft, but their games are kind of radically different.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, he he doesn't really have this speed to win with speed, but I think with the speed and athleticism he does have, when he brings on the more accelerated hand use and the ability to set offensive linemen up, I think he does that very well, which will translate and makes up for some of the top-end athleticism that he doesn't have. And kind of like you said, and one thing that is not going to be... A big thing for him is he's not going to be asked to be, you know, the number one pass rusher right away. I think as we saw with Ximenez being the only edge rusher they took in this draft, they are very much going to use a rotation of guys and and mix and match depending on the situation. So you're going to have Ximenez in there and rotating with Marcus Golden, with Kareem Martin, with with Lorenzo Carter, so you're going to have all these guys rotating in, and I don't think one guy is going to have to be the main guy, and that that probably is a good thing, and I think will allow all of them to continue to develop together, I think that's good for their development, that they're not going to have to really take the load as the main guy, no one's going to have that role, and I think that actually benefits all of them, but when you look at what Zemenes did in college, he was, he was a pretty good playmaker, last year he had 18 and a half, tackles for loss you know 12 sacks 24 and a half run stuff so he was getting through the line of scrimmage quite often and he had an interception two pass breakups and four force fumbles so this is a guy who against the, you know the quality of competition obviously is not there with old dominion and the teams he was playing but i, I think there are a lot of traits and that will translate so i, I do like the pick
2: Yeah, and I will say he did have a good game against Virginia Tech. I I was able to find that, and I did watch it. I watched every snap of his that I could find. I got to say, just a ton of respect for the guys who who are out there cutting tape, especially cutting college broadcast tape, not coaches tape or anything like that, like NFL teams get. That is not an easy thing to do. But he did have a good game against Virginia Tech, and that is a definite jump in competition from... You know, East Carolina and Marshall and Rice.
1: Right. Yeah. So while the Giants didn't go big on the edge, which a lot of people thought they did, they went heavy at cornerback, which is a strategy that I am okay with. It's something I've talked about previously. I talked about it at the end of last season, kind of. And I'll just say again for those that might be unfamiliar, I think one of the big reasons the Giants' pass rush was not great last year was because the coverage was not good. And the coverage did not hold up long enough for there to be enough time for the pass rush to really make an impact, because the Giants got pressure last year, but when under pressure, the quarterbacks were still able to complete passes because the coverage just wasn't there. I do still think the Giants need some edge rush help still, even after Jimenez, because Olivier Vernon not here anymore, so I'm not sure if they really improved the pass rush. So with the pass rush being a little worse. I think everything needs to be bulked up a little bit, but the Giants went super heavy at corner. And I think that coverage needed a lot of help and it did. And I think Julian Love is a really good pick at 108th overall in the fourth round. He is someone who was a very good college corner at a big school, came out of Notre Dame. Julian Love per Sports Info Solutions allowed 45 point. 9% of his passes to be completed, just 5.3 yards per target last year, and that was on 74 targets. So he's a little small at 5'11", but he's someone who has been able to handle the outside. He can be in the slot. I think he's going to be a versatile piece for this defense, and then you put him in uh, with, you know, Janoris Jenkins is probably going to be on one side. DeAndre Baker is probably going to be worked in as the starter. And then, once you get there, you're going to have Love able to or rotate in. You still have Grant Haley. You have whatever is there from Sam Beal. And we'll talk about Corey Ballantine in a little bit. So I think there's that's a good group of quarterbacks that has a lot of potential, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, Love is probably my favorite pick from their entire from the entire draft, or, or at least the Giants' entire draft. And getting him in the fourth round is kind of ridiculous. You know, Lance Zerline over at NFL.com had him as a second-round prospect. He's smart, like you said. He's He can play inside and outside. Uh, he he kind of struggled a little bit with, with speed, uh, only had a 4'5", four, 4'40", which is not great, but he's really quick yeah he's got quick feet he scored in the 83rd percentile for the three cone drill so that's really good so if the Giants play him in the slot they could probably man him up against almost anyone an offense is going to put there and he's he'll probably stand a pretty good chance of holding up he's good at separating the receiver from the ball so that's a good thing he's got really good ball skills so all in all this is this is just, it strikes me that this is a steal.
1: Yeah, I don't want to just gloss over the ball skills either. So no. he only had five interceptions in three years, but 39 passes defense, which is insane. He had 20 in 2017 as a sophomore and then 16 this past year as a junior. So he can get his hands on the ball. But. When we look at you know, the role he played at Notre Dame, he was mostly an outside corner. That was about you know, three quarters of his snaps were on the outside. He played 25.4% uh, in the slot per Sports Info Solutions. So if he does move there in a more full-time role... You know, that's going to be new to him, but I think he can handle it. He's someone who was very good against man coverage, only 36.2% positive play rate against him in man, 36.2% in zone. So those are you know good numbers for someone who is potentially moving to the slot. There are a couple moving pieces in the secondary that I think are going to benefit all of those pieces involved.
2: Yeah, and you know, interestingly, DeAndre Baker has experience in the slot as well. He played it less often, I believe. But Georgia did line him up there on occasion in certain down-and-distance packages. But he did it, and he did it reasonably well. So that does present some options and maybe even some opportunities for a guy like James Betcher, who does like to be able to move guys around.
1: Yeah, so Baker was in the slot thirteen point six percent of the time last year. So it does have you know a little bit of experience. That's better than zero percent. So yeah, it's it just gives you another option, which I think is good, especially as the draft happened and the edge rushers kind of came off the board. And this was a deep class in edge rushers, but to a point where it was so deep, a lot of the talent went pretty early. So once you got past you know Zemeznas. To a point, there there wasn't a lot of value in going for the pass rush. So grabbing these corners, and you know, not all of these guys are going to be good, and this is kind of one of the things about having a lot of draft picks. You have a lot of picks because not everyone is going to hit, so you just take more shots. And at a position like corner, which is very important and is going to help that pass rush just as much as a pass rusher, you know, in the fourth round would have. I'm totally okay with taking all of these shots and maybe one of these guys works out, That that's still good. You're still getting a good corner. If two work out, that's incredible. So I, I think that potentially has a good idea. So I don't know if this is something the Giants specifically targeted that they thought corner needed more help than their pass rush. I'm not sure if it just went with their value on the board and they just ended up happening to take as many cornerbacks as they did so i'm not totally sure their thought process but in the grand scheme of things i'm totally okay with the amount of corners they took and trying to beef that position up so as we move on to their next pick in the fifth round at 143 they took ryan conley the linebacker from wisconsin you know, uh, Conley, I'm going to be honest, was not someone who was super high on my radar. He was not on our initial big board, if you took a look at that on Big Blue View when we had posted it during the week. But he is interesting. Uh, he's you know, a slightly above average athlete. Uh, I found his, I tweeted this out after he was drafted and I kind of looked into him a little more. His, his coverage splits are very interesting. So <laughs> he was charted with, at seventy-one point four percent completion rate allowed, but only three point nine yards per target, uh, and it, this was only on fourteen targets. So it's a slightly small sample of targets. But what that kind of tells you is he's not great at preventing completions, but is pretty good at preventing them from becoming big gains. So that is a positive there. He was also a very productive pass rusher, so a 22.5% blitz rate and a 21.6% pressure rate. That pressure rate is very good among the linebackers who were blitzing at least 20% of the time, and then there's not a whole bunch of them. So I think he he has some ability there, and when you're looking at... You know we're we're going to be breaking these guys down, but once you get into you know the fifth round, uh, if any of these guys are solid contributors, that that's a bonus. Uh, you're not expecting that from the guys we're going to be talking about from this point going forward.
2: Yeah, no. Personally, I I was annoyed by the pick, not because of Connolly. No, I have nothing against him, but I was annoyed because Blake Cashman was still on the board, and i as i think people should know by now i'm a big fan of blake cashman he's a just hyper instinctive tackling machine who also happened to be only slightly less athletic than the devons taken in the top 10. so the fact that the giants apparently didn't value him it it just annoyed me as for conley i i would kind of look at him as kind of a chase blackburn type player Hopefully, if he's pressed onto the field, he can give you some good play. Everything I've read about him, he'll be a great guy in the locker room, hard worker, all of that. And I think he'll probably wind up being, at least to start his career, maybe even a core special teamer. And for the fifth round, that's not bad.
1: Yeah, it, it's not. And and that's probably where he, he profiles uh, right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be too upset about these linebackers, uh, because when we really looked at this class, there was such a, a kind of a fall off between... Devin White and Devin Bush and then kind of everyone else, although both of us did have Blake Cashman above in that in that clear number three role before the falloff really happened, although it appears the NFL did not feel that way because a lot of linebackers went before Blake Cashman. So I, I could see how depending on what a team valued in a linebacker, how different that board uh, could potentially be. But yeah, Conley does probably profile just as uh, a special teams contributor right now, and anything he brings above that is going to be a bonus. Um, The Giants had another fifth round pick after that, pick 171 overall, and that was Darius Slayton, the wide receiver from Auburn. And this is a similar pick where, in my personal opinion, I probably would have taken some other wide receivers. You know, I was big on Emmanuel Hall, who did not get drafted. Apparently, that was from some negative reviews he had from Missouri coaches, which is kind of something we we won't get into right now. But you know, Keyshawn Johnson was the first pick in the sixth round. He's someone I probably would have liked a little more than Slayton, but. He kind of fills a potential contributing piece that the Giants need, and that is a speedy outside receiver. Slayton ran a 4-3-3 at the combine, um, so that obviously gives you the speed. So it is slightly hard to judge him based on what he did in the Auburn offense because the Auburn offense was atrocious. He was targeted on a lot of screens. He had some deep production, but not you know, a lot of deep production just because the structure of the offense was not there. But that is partly where target yards added comes in and why I do that, which is why I try to take the wide receiver ability outside of the structure of the offense. So, I mean, when you look at Slayton's yards per target, it was only 9.18, which is not great for any wide receiver, especially someone who's considered to be a deep threat. But when you look at what Auburn averaged throwing to other wide receivers, it was only 6.45 yards per attempt. So that's 2.73 target yards added, which was 13th in this class. So he did fairly well, even though, you know, when you look at 70 targets and 661 yards, that's not very good. But when you put that in, with what Auburn did when they weren't throwing to him and what he added to the offense it looks a lot better so again in the fifth round if you're taking a player who does one thing pretty well and that is run in a straight line very quickly then you know I'm okay with it you you take that there
2: yeah you know that that is a need for their offense they really they've got Corey Coleman and to a certain extent, they're similar players. They're both very, very fast. They have that ability to stretch the field, take the top off of a the defense. They both have some, we'll say, questionable hands, but they also provide something that the Giants, will say, top four receiving options in Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley, either through athletic limitations or just how they're used don't and that's that ability to to bring a vertical element to the offense I was looking somehow Evan Ingram is has the second lowest targeted air yards in the NFL behind only Ryan Switzer how does that happen with a tight end who runs a 4-4
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the problems of the Giants offense. It's something we talked about a lot last year in our recap episodes. Um, Yeah. It's and it's, it's something, but still. <laughs> yeah, and it's something they're probably going to continue to do this year because it does seem they are just building a yards-after-the-catch heavy offense. So I am expecting a lot more shallow crossers from Evan Ingram. And now with Daniel Jones, who 75% of his passes came within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage last year at Duke, I'm not expecting that to change very much. So Slayton is someone who gives them something they do need, but... I'm not sure how often they are going to use it. Although, ideally, they should use that more than they probably will.
2: Yeah, and I gotta say, when we get to camp and preseason, his speed probably will jump off the field, especially to people who haven't really watched him before. Because he isn't just fast, he has acceleration. He is able to just fire off the line and hit his top speed in stride or two and that is something the giants really don't have anywhere else on their offense so that will stand out
1: yeah so we'll see there is there's a huge group right now in that number three wide receiver rotation there's like six guys uh, who could possibly contribute and be rotated in so we'll see who comes out of that rotation once you know training camp and the preseason comes uh, because there are a lot of options slayton is just now going to be added to that so the Giants went into the sixth round, hundred eightieth overall, and that pick was Corey Ballantine, the cornerback from Washburn. Um, so before we get into him as a player, obviously, probably most of you know that after the draft, Ballantine was involved in a a shooting, uh, where he was shot. A teammate was killed in, uh, in an off-campus incident. Appears by all reports, Ballantine you know came out okay uh, he's expected to make a full recovery so we are very much hoping that is the case and hoping for him uh, we have uh, his teammate uh, in our thoughts which uh, is just incredibly sad to you know be celebrating something like getting drafted and have something like that happen but for what he brings on the field uh there's not a lot of publicly available tape on Washburn so I, I don't have a huge opinion really uh, informed on what he brought to the field. It seems from those who have watched him did like what they saw. My biggest takeaways was uh, he's a 95th percentile spark athlete and he had the longest broad jump for the corners at the combine. Those are two things I like very much. So if that's what you're targeting in the sixth round, man, I'm all for it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like you said, there is not much available on Washburn. So I i can't really uh evaluate whether or not he'll be a difference maker what whether or not he has the he'll be a contributor i don't know he but his traits are really intriguing you know uh, four four seven forty yard dash this was a slow cornerback group just as a whole so he was one of the fastest guys there 39 and a half inch vertical jump you know over 11 foot broad jump uh, six eight two three cone those are all really good numbers I don't know if he will stay at corner or perhaps maybe with either the Giants history of wanting a cornerback skill set at free safety and Antoine Bethe's age maybe they will try to cross train him and eventually transition him to a free safety if he is yet yeah, still new enough in his development that he's kind of a lump of clay and not really set at corner which those kind of traits, and he's got solid size at 5'11", 196, that's fine for free safety. Maybe that could be an intriguing move there, kind of like uh, Bennett Jackson a few years ago before injuries basically derailed his career.
1: Yeah, that could be interesting. And I mean, that's not something the Giants have shied away from. Curtis Riley last year, the experiment did not work out well, but he was a cornerback before he played safety this past season. So maybe that is uh, something that's, possible Uh, obviously there's a lot of cornerbacks on this roster now but like I said I'm totally okay with throwing a whole bunch at the position and then you know seeing what works and what doesn't we are you know hoping for a speed recovery from Valentine, and he is I think one of the most intriguing prospects the Giants did draft because of that athleticism uh, because of the quality of competition he faced was was not all that great. So uh, I'm very interested to see how uh, he is going to transition. And then the Giants had two seventh round picks as we round this up. 232nd overall was Kentucky offensive tackle George Asafo Ajay. You know, he's someone who uh, played quite a bit at right tackle. Uh, again, if you're taking someone in the seventh round, you're not expecting him to step in and be a starter immediately. Although the Giants right now have a. The undrafted free agent who started most of this season at, at right tackle for them. So I guess they, they do have some room to improve there if if there is some kind of competition. We know that Mike Remmers could possibly is still kind of working in the background as a veteran free agent. Uh, I think his a- a agent tweeted today that he's still in the recovery phase from from his injury. Um, So he's not 100% to sign quite yet. You know, Remmers isn't, you know, a superstar tackle, but possibly an upgrade over what the Giants had last year, which which is important. But to go back to uh, Asafo Ajay, uh Above average athlete, 55 percentile in Spark. So I think he moves pretty well. I think he has tackle and guard versatility, which uh, is something with the Giants. You look at their offensive line depth chart now. It is not great. So having uh, possibly like a swing tackle and someone who can also kick inside to guard, I think is that's, that's a positive also.
2: Yeah, definitely. Having a guy with traits, with athleticism, who could be that swing tackle or super sub maybe a Kevin Booth type player that's a solid use of a 7th round pick you know as badly as the giants need an offensive tackle you know maybe he can compete with Chad Wheeler i'm not sure that's what you should be shooting for with your 7th round pick or or i should say at least what you should be expecting of your 7th round pick anyway but you know we'll have to see you know what becomes of him I know the beat reporters who spoke with him just after he was selected seemed to love him. So at least he's got that going for him.
1: Yeah, that's that's always good. Um, so you know, we'll see. There's still you know a seventh rounder, so you're, you're not going to be expecting a lot from there. And then the second seventh rounder was 245th overall. That was Chris Slayton, uh, interior defensive lineman from Syracuse. Slayton is someone who... You know, is able to push the pocket a little bit was, you know, an okay run stuffer. Uh, You know, he was only in the 35th Spark percentile, so he's not someone who's going to win in the interior with athleticism, but he was able to create some pressure. I mean, this is, uh, again, for me, like you had with Conley over Cashman, uh, just a couple picks after this. Michael Dogbe was taken by Arizona. He's someone just uh, from Temple, who I like quite a bit, who uh, does have that athleticism. Uh, I was someone who consistently got into the backfield. So that's, in my just personal opinion, I probably would have gone there. But uh, of course, again, we're talking about seventh round picks. So, you know, the difference in, in what, the teams are are valuing i think they should have valued doug bay a little more but and again just my personal opinion so i have nothing against slayton who did show a little more uh, pass rush than i would be expecting for someone still available in the seventh round so he you know uh, upside as a, a rotation piece on that interior defensive line
2: yeah yeah I, i'm i was with you with uh Michael Dogway I was rooting for him to be drafted as well I think he might be might have just been a little bit undersized for the Giants and what they like I mean they like basically giant defenders or at least giant defensive linemen Slayton he's a really strong dude you know from from what I have seen of him and that is something else the Giants really do like in their defensive tackles uh he had 28 reps on the bench press that's landed him in the 70th percentile. That wasn't too far off. You know, a lot of the, a lot more highly drafted guys, you know, obviously Dexter Lawrence led the way with 36 reps. So it shouldn't be a surprise that he was drafted by the giants, but, uh, Ed Oliver only got four more reps with 32 Dalen Mack. who's was probably the number, the number two nose tackle in this class. He got 30, uh, Reynold wren out of arizona state he got 30 uh tristan hill out of central florida got 28 christian wilkins out of clemson got 28 so it doesn't surprise me that the giants kind of kept track of him and figured why not we'll use this pick on him rather than take a chance on losing him in undrafted free agency
1: yeah and again it's it's something that you know it (laughs) as much as the draft is a dart throw once you get to this uh stage of the draft in you're you're looking for you know maybe one uh, elite trait you know, possibly if you even get that at this point so the the difference between these guys is probably not, you know not going to be huge you can have your different personal preferences which you know I think we did on a couple of these picks. And I think when you look at this, you know, the draft class as a whole, especially from, you know, the third to seventh, you know, in a, in a vacuum, you like what some of these picks are. I think getting Zimenez and Love in the third and fourth, I think are, are pretty good picks and can potentially be, you know, contributors as early as this season. And when you're getting that from a rookie class, that is... You know that is a bonus. I possibly also says something about your roster that you need those players to be contributors in 2019. But even in, in 2020 and beyond, I think those are, are good players who can could be you know useful pieces. So when you look at them in a vacuum, I I, I don't think you can quibble with a lot of the picks. You know you can say. You know, personally, you can say things like, you know, Ryan Conley was taken the pick before Marvell Tell, uh, the safety from USC, who was one of just my favorite prospects in the draft. He's someone I probably think could have been a little more helpful for the Giants defense than Conley will be. But again, that's a personal preference. But you look at these guys in a vacuum, I, think I can see the rationale for most of these picks. And, you know, that that's a good sign. But I think when we you know, take in what happened on days two and three, it's overshadowed by what happened on day one and specifically at the beginning of day one. Um, so if that doesn't work out, it really doesn't matter how successful you were on day two and three. And that's where I think the discussion is going to continue to be about this draft class and, and what the giants accomplished over the weekend.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know- First round, and especially, I'll just say, the Daniel Jones pick, that is going to define the draft. Maybe it shouldn't, but it will. They have basically decided that they want him to be their next franchise quarterback. And I think that might even go so far as to define last year's draft as well because of the quarterbacks they passed on. There is an awful lot riding on that pick. And it, I don't want to say it doesn't matter how guys like Zimenez and Love and Ballantyne and Connolly, both Slaytons, and even Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker, right? I don't want to say it doesn't matter how they play because it obviously does. If you don't get anything from the draft class, it is a colossal failure. But even if they are fine and the quarterback pick doesn't work out, You look at the draft that Washington had. If you told me a week ago the Giants could have gotten Dwayne Haskins and Montez Sweat in the first round, I would would have said, sign me up now. Don't tell me what happened with the rest of the draft.
1: Yeah, and that is... You know that's really what's going to shape this entire draft class and the Giants for the next couple of years because how that goes is how this team is going to go. And you know, like you said, it's it's something that is just going to encompass everything. It has a shadow over this draft class. It has a shadow over the next draft class. It has a shadow over last year's draft class. Now, and that's just the way quarterback works. It's always going to be that way, Uh, and that's just kind of how we're going to have to continue to talk about all of this and uh, we are going to continue to talk about this. We'll have plenty of written content. There's already been a bunch on BigBlueView.com. We're going to have a podcast. Our goal is to have Mark Schofield back to talk about Daniel Jones uh, and what that and all of the fallout of that pick. So uh, all of that is going to be coming. Uh, for this episode we want to focus on you know day two and three, which you know, was not terrible and, and that's good. I think overall you can be happy with some of the contributors that are potentially coming from this class of course all of that is you know just it's shadowed by what happened with pick six Oh, man, I just realized the irony of pick six. Yeah, what I was literally cost.
2: just thinking, I hope that's not a phrase we ha- we wind up speaking too often. Yeah, that just hit me as I said it. So,
1: fun times. All right, so we're going to end this episode here. You can find our work on BigBlueView.com. You can follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. Thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.